0: Hi, my name is Paul Crandall and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, Whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey. And we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc at That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're gonna find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. As we jump into this week's passage, I, I, I kind of want to gently see if I can navigate your, your mind here for a moment to, to take on a topic, a very, a very serious topic, and maybe a topic that has a lot of um, experiential baggage for you. So I want to I tread lightly here, uh, but I want you to think of a moment, and I don't, don't, don't get too immersed in this, but I want you to think of a moment where you found yourself um, experience a great sense of fear, where you felt overwhelmed by fear, where you felt almost paralyzed by fear. Fear fear can be a good thing. It's a God-given uh, uh, reaction to circumstances. Fear keeps us from hugging snakes and high-fiving bears and stuff like that, right? It keeps us safe. But there are times where we can't regulate that fear and we're overcome by the emotion and it's like a tidal wave that just takes over us and we find ourselves in a spot where we are paralyzed by fear. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about when we can't regulate our fear, when we feel overwhelmed or paralyzed by our fear. I'll give you an example of this from from my own childhood. I, I, w- I was staying with my dad. My parents got divorced when I was very young and my dad had visitation rights. Mom had really sole custody of both me and my sister, but I would see my dad about maybe every two months or something like that. So I was staying with my dad and, and uh, one night my dad stumbled into the room where I was, where I was sleeping for the night and, and it woke me up and uh, my dad sat uh, at the edge of the bed and I could tell that he had been drinking, and, and I could smell it, you know, I, I could, as he was starting to put words together, he's kind of stammering in his speech and kind of clumsily putting different words together, and I, I know, okay, this is one of those moments that had, had too much to drink, and I, I don't want to define my father by his weakest moments, I know for myself, I don't want to be defined by, by my weakest moments, but this was definitely a weak moment for my father. My, my father was manic depressive and bipolar. So the wave of emotions that he would experience were pretty, pretty incredible. And then you just add on top of that, the influence of alcohol put him in a very just uneasy position. And, and that happened to be one of those times. So he sat at the edge of my bed. And I don't think he was aware that I was asleep under the covers. And he started to express these thoughts, these thoughts of, of suicide. And and uh, it took me a while for me to really start to capture what my dad was processing in that moment. And I, I, once I realized it, I remember just like gripping the blanket. I had this, this brown wool blanket. And I still remember very vividly it had, it had a picture of two puppies on the blanket. And I, I just clenched this blanket, and I didn't want to move. I was just so in fear, and I could sense the danger, even though I couldn't see it, right, because my eyes were covered by the blanket. I sensed the danger that was in that room at that moment in that dark place. At one point, as my dad was talking, he expressed that he he had a knife on him and that he was gonna use that knife on himself. And I remember, and I can still, even in first service, I could feel it in myself. The, the sense of just like fear that was in me. You know, I could feel a little bit now my, my heart is kind of beating a little fast. And I remember clenching I could feel almost the texture of that wool blanket. Clenching that blanket and holding it over myself and just not wanting to move. And I remember sweating, just sweating under that wool blanket. And I just remember thinking to myself, I'm just gonna wait till he passes out. I've seen this story play out before. I'm just gonna wait till he passes out. And he did. he passed out and Uh, woke up, and I I actually have, I never mentioned that uh, experience to my father, but that experience really made it difficult for me to sleep at night as a kid. That that sense of fear, that sense of panic, that sense of terror, I think it's fair to describe it that way, just kind of rippled out to my experience almost every night, that I had this kind of anxiety and panic that would just overtake me. Um, And and so I used to always have to sleep with the light on. I have to sleep with the the, the TV on. Something going on to distract me in that moment because I was just so overwhelmed by fear and I didn't know how to regulate that. And if I'm absolutely honest with you, there's been actually two moments I can think of in my adult life where I found myself almost re-experiencing that moment where where in, in, in maybe the dark room at night, I, it's almost like I can feel that sense of danger, right? That, that unknown sense of danger, our unseen sense of danger in the darkness. And it's like my, my heart starts racing and my palms start sweating. It's almost like I can feel the texture of that wool blanket again on my fingertips. What do we do in those moments? Like how can we, hold, how can we regulate those, those fears inside of us, right? How can how can we handle those very fearful moments now maybe your experience of fear is different than mine but I think all of us in this room have a moment where we've experienced great fear terror panic time where we kind of just clinch up and we feel like we are just gripped by our emotions and it's like we cannot handle what our body is doing and we feel like this sense like we've lost control like what do we do in those moments In Mark's gospel in chapter 4, Jesus, I think, is going to give us the most helpful tool to use when we experience great fear, when we experience panic and anxiety, when we find ourselves just kind of knotted up and and, and out of control emotionally. When we get that sense of terror, I think Jesus is going to give us the tool that's going to untie that knot that's in us emotionally. And so I want to share that with you. And, And the big idea for this morning is this. So let me just give it to you kind of right up front. The big idea is this. If you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. The big idea is this. Faith makes you sleepy in storms. Faith makes you sleepy in storms. Here's what we're going to see in Mark chapter 4 is there's going to be a storm, a violent storm, a crazy storm. The waves are going to be big. The water's going to crash in the boat. And Jesus and the disciples are in the same situation. And the disciples are going to say, this is not good. They're going to be stricken with panic. They're going to find themselves overwhelmed, kind of like I was holding that blanket tightly to my face, not wanting to even move it to see the danger that I was potentially in. They found themselves in that moment. Jesus is in the same moment, the same moment with the disciples. He's in the same storm, the same kind of circumstance. He's right there. But Jesus' reaction to the situation is so much different than his disciples. They're panic-stricken. Jesus, on the other hand sleeps he takes a nap in the storm he takes a nap when they're in peril he decides to take a nap and why is that why is Jesus reaction so much different than that of his disciples it's because of his faith and what the disciples are missing is a greater degree of faith and trust in God the Father and especially in Christ the Son who is right there with them So here's what I want to do. I want to jump right into this passage. And here's what I'm hoping to do. I want to give you, at the end of the message, a very practical tool that you can use when you find yourself in that kind of anxious moment, in that moment of fear where you feel overwhelmed and like your emotions are out of control. I want to give you something based on this passage that I think you can do to help relieve that tension in you. So let's jump. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And we're going to start with verse 35. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Verse 35. How did you know so quickly? It's like you wrote the sermon. I don't write any of these. He writes them all. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Let's set the stage here. Let's get to the storm. Verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowd behind, although other boats followed, but soon a fierce storm came up. Waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I just can't, there's times where you just can't read the gospel and not laugh a little bit. Like there's this violent storm, water's coming in, and Jesus is, just, you know, on like this pottery barn, nice little cushion. you know, like... Just dead asleep. Jesus is sleeping on this boat and then look at his disciples. The disciples woke him shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Okay, so let's just start with the very beginning here. Okay, they're on the sea. Jesus has been teaching, performing miracles, and so now it's time for them to move on. So Jesus says, all right guys, let's get on the boat. Let's go to the other side. Now we're not told why. Like, why does Jesus feel like he needs to move? Now, we know that at times when Jesus is maybe fatigued by his public ministry, he feels the crowd is kind of draining him. Jesus will kind of seclude himself to kind of get recharged. Maybe Jesus is an introvert. I I don't know. But he's like, hey, I'm, I'm spent a little bit. I need to go recharge for a moment. Maybe that's what Jesus is doing. I've had enough of these guys. Let's take the boat. Let's go on a nice cruise, right, and relax a little bit. Maybe that's what Jesus is doing. Right? Or, or maybe it's just Jesus knows there's a new group of people. We see this oftentimes that Jesus will say, okay, our, my time at this place is done. I need to go see a new group of people and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. We don't know why Jesus is moving. But here's what we do know very clearly. Jesus is the navigator right now. Now think about that for a moment because that's going to come up, I think, in the disciples' response. Jesus, we know if we zoom out from this moment in the gospel, we look at the rest of the gospel of Mark, we we zoom out even more, we look at the other testament of the gospels, and then we we zoom out even more and we look at the rest of the New Testament scriptures. We know that Jesus is the God-man. As God, he is all-knowing. Jesus has said, let's go to the center of the Sea of Galilee. Let's go to the other side. Why is that a problem? If Jesus is all-knowing, he knows they're going into a storm. He's navigating them into a mess. That's going to be a problem, I think, for the disciples. I mean, look at their response with Jesus. Jesus, they shake him, don't you care? We're about to drown. Now, these are are experienced fishermen. Most of the trade of the disciples at this point was that of being fishermen. They're familiar with the Sea of Galilee. And what we know of first century Palestine and what we know of even the Sea of Galilee, now violent storms, sudden violent storms are common. And these men were probably very experienced in knowing, now we shouldn't go at this point, at this time, it's not a good idea, we're gonna run into a storm, but who do they trust? Jesus. I mean, this dude is casting out demons. He is healing people. He just said last week we looked at it. He's forgiving people's sin. I mean, Jesus is doing dynamic stuff. So we are going to honor Jesus, even though we know going out there could be risky. Jesus will follow your instruction. And what does that do? Gets them in the mess. And because in following Jesus, they get to this messy moment, this this violent storm where these men are terrified. They say to Jesus, dude, you don't even care about us. How easy, it, easy is it for you to identify with the disciples here? I don't know from my own experience. Man, the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm in a mess, when I'm in a storm, when I feel like I've followed Jesus and now I'm in this mess. And because of following Jesus, I'm in this mess. He said, turn right. I turned right. And now I'm in traffic. Right? Or, right, he said, hey, go to the other side, and now we're in a storm. And the first thing I do, if I'm honest with you, is what? How could a loving God let this happen? Is that the first thing that comes to our mind, that we question the character of God? It's funny how we don't question necessarily the control of God, the power of God. We question his character, his care, and his concern. Are you indifferent to my mess right now, Jesus? Man, I find myself there often when I'm in a mess, when I'm overwhelmed by fear, when I'm panic-stricken, when things aren't working like I want them to work. That first response often is, how does a loving God let this happen? They're terrified. Their response is the question Jesus. You put us here, you put us in this mess. And yet Jesus, on the other hand, what is he doing? He's taking a nap. Right? He's got the cover blinder on. He has noise music. Got the cushion. He's just resting. Just dead asleep on this boat. Now, what does this mean? Like, is Jesus just a heavy sleeper? Like, is his sleep apnea machine plugged in? Like, Jesus is out. It's not his fault. I don't think what's happening is, I don't think that Jesus sleeping here is just a sign of like his exhaustion. Like I think he's probably exhausted from all the ministry that he's done. I don't think it's just a sign of Jesus' humanity, right? He's the God man, so he gets fatigued, tired and hungry, all of those things. I don't think it's just that. Again, we have to recall and go back that if we zoom out from this passage, we know that Jesus is all knowing. So Jesus knew the storm was coming, but he still slept. He still took a nap. Why is that? I think it's because he knows the plan of his father. He's resting in his trust of God. Notice this in Psalms. Psalms chapter 3 and Psalms chapter 4. I think it's interesting how in the Old Testament, rest is often a direct result of trust in God. Look at this, how it's put poetically in Psalms chapter 3. It says, I lay down and slept... I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I could sleep. Why? Because God's watchful care was over me. The next psalm over, Psalms 4, gives the, really the same point. In peace, I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Here's what I think Jesus is expressing here As Jesus knows the plan of the Father. He knows I don't drown in this sea. I don't die in the depths of the Sea of Galilee. I die at the cross. I die at Calvary. And then I will rise again. Jesus knows the plan that, that, that in the Trinity they conceived together. What would be the plan for the Son of God, for the incarnate Word? It'd be to die and rise. Those waves won't capsize this boat. As big as the storm is going to get, Jesus knows this is not my place of death. So he can rest. He can sleep in the midst of the storm that causes panic in these men. And as Jesus addresses the situation, I think we're going to see this point even clearer. That the problem, it's not the size of the waves. The problem is the size of their faith. It's not that the sea is too high or the winds are too violent. It's that their faith is too weak. It's too little. All right, look at how Jesus expresses this. So they kind of wake Jesus and rebuke him. Then Jesus rebukes the storm and then rebukes them. All right, look at what Jesus does. There, he's, the disciples wake him up. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Verse 39. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence. Be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Something very, very interesting is happening here. Right? First we see these two words that are used, silence and be still. It's very interesting that Mark uses, picks up these words to describe what Jesus is saying in that boat. Because Mark has used the same two words in chapter one in a different context, a different situation. When Jesus is rebuking a demon, when he is exercising a demon out of a person, these are the exact two verbs that are used. So some readers of scriptures have said, well, maybe what's happening here is Jesus is actually speaking to a demonically influenced storm, which honestly is a very real possibility A biblical worldview of nature would tell us that there are times that, yes, natural forces can be manipulated by demonic influence. We see that in the book of Job. So maybe that's what's happening here. We don't know. We don't know because Jesus doesn't pick this up. All we're given are these two words. But I think what Mark is trying to make crystal clear to us is that Jesus has the power. Just like he has power over the demonic forces, he has power over nature. The seen and the unseen world fall under the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He is Lord of creation. The things we can see, the things we cannot see, ultimately he is chief. He is over these things. And look at this. Look what Jesus says in these two words again. These are not question marks here, right? Those are exclamation points. I wasn't great in English grammar, but I know that. That's a straight line, not a crooked thing. Jesus is not asking. He's not praying. Now think about that for a moment. As you've walked through the Old Testament, maybe you recall the story of another prophet of God, a prophet of God who experienced the storm and he prayed and that storm was then calmed. The prophet Jonah did this. He prayed and the storm ceased, but he had to pray. Jesus is not praying here. He's commanding. That's a lot different than asking. He's not praying to the Father, he's acting like the Father. He's acting like God. Because only, only God in the Old Testament is one who is the master of creation. You go go all the way back to like Genesis chapter one, where we have this primordial chaos of creation. And God speaks an authoritative word, and he brings order from chaos. We see in Psalms uh, 107 where God is said to still the storm to keep sailors safe. It's that kind of dynamic we're talking about. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. This is exactly the authority he is assuming. He is saying, I can talk like God because I am God. We saw last week, Jesus did this when it came to the forgiveness of sin. He said, I have the authority to forgive sin. Now Jesus is saying, I also have the authority to tell the wind and the waves what to do because I'm God. Wow, Jesus clearly is showing his authority and his power. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and then he rebukes his disciples. And what does Jesus point out as the key problem in this situation, the key need in this situation? It wasn't the terrifying nature of the storm, it was the disappointing lack of faith in his disciples. Right, look at how Jesus says this. So he rebukes the storm, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked him, why are you afraid? Again, I don't know how you read the scriptures, but I feel like I read the Bible slower. I I just, I don't know why. I try to envision myself in the scriptures. I consider myself a pretty fast reader when it comes to most literature. But when it comes to the scriptures, especially the teaching of Jesus, because I always feel like Jesus surprises me think about this question. First, it feels odd. Why are you afraid? Then if I'm honest, it feels a little patronizing. Like if I was one of the disciples, and I already know, if you took the weaknesses of Peter and the weaknesses of Thomas, that would be me. Right? Peter always puts his foot in his mouth. Thomas is always dealing with doubt. Throw those together. Now you get disciple Paul. Right? That would be me. I would be that guy. And I feel like at this point, I would feel a little unnerved by Jesus' question. Hey, guys, why are you afraid? i would be like, because we're going to die, Jesus. There's a storm, Jesus. This is the perfect time to panic, right? That's what I would feel. Do you not see what's happening? There's water everywhere, Jesus. This is the appropriate time to be afraid. Notice what Jesus doesn't do, right? Disciples shake him. Don't you care going to drown? notice how Jesus didn't wake up and like, oh my gosh. Oh, how did we get here? Man, we must have took a wrong turn GPS these days. You know, right, left, and now here I am on TV highway in traffic, right? Maybe that's what's happening. Jesus doesn't go, hey guys, I'm really sorry. I misnavigated. My compass was off north, south. Who knew, right? Jesus first doesn't apologize that they're in the storm. And he doesn't empathize with the panic of his disciples. Isn't that interesting? That's why I asked them, guys, why are you afraid? Now, again, I think their panic is fair to a degree. I think these, again, experienced sailors, they, they knew these seas. Yes, they were in danger. But the problem is they were only seeing that danger. They were only seeing the storm. They didn't see the son of God in the boat with them. They didn't understand the plan of the Father. They didn't trust the Father's plan and they didn't trust Jesus, the Son of God, in the boat with them. That's why when Jesus wakes up, the problem Jesus doesn't see is these, these waves are just too big. The problem he sees, man, your faith is just too small, guys. Why are you afraid? And here's Jesus' penetrating question. Do you still have no faith? right that's things a little no faith you don't trust you don't know who I am you don't know who I am you don't know the plan that's before me we're safe guys if you had faith you could sleep on the cushion you could sleep on the cushion right next to me we would be fine I didn't panic I trusted in my father and you can trust in me The disciples clearly don't see who Jesus is. They know he's a man of power. They've seen him cast out demons. They know he's a man of power because they've seen him heal. And they must have been expecting something from Jesus because they shook him and asked him why he was not taking concern for them. Maybe they expected Jesus to grab a bucket, start bailing water, or maybe they expected him to pray like Jonah. But what Jesus does now shocks them, surprises them. And look at how this story takes a crazy turn at the end. Because these men who were terrified of the storm now have an increased sense of fear, but now a different object of their fear. No longer are they afraid of the storm. Now they're afraid of Jesus. No longer are they afraid of those that, are the things that are outside the boat, but now they're afraid of who's in the boat. Right, look at this shock. Look at this response to them, or their response. Verse 41, Then the disciples were absolutely terrified i love this because this is a perfect description of what we see in the greek here that the 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 fear that jesus talks about that he sees in the disciples is a pretty strong word for fear but the next response here as mark describes it is significantly larger so just translate it like this does perfect justice to the greek the disciples verse 41 were absolutely terrified of what actually the right question is of who look what they say Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. I love this because this reminds me of the story all the way back in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 14, um, God has removing his people from Egyptian slavery. He has taken them out from the Egyptian oppressor and he's, he's, he's used miracles and he's used plagues to really take out this giant world power of the time, the power of Egypt. And he takes them out and he's leading them to the promised land. The people find themselves backed up to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh, for some reason, thinks, I got to get that labor back. That was free labor That's like the foundation of my economy. I need those guys back. So he gets the army. And I don't know how this works. After all the plagues, I don't know how you get some dude in a chariot to run after the God that just crushed you. I mean, nine rounds. I mean, this guy was taking you out. And now you want to get on a chariot and you want to go after these people? And then God parts the sea and people start to walk on dry land. God does a natural miracle, a water miracle. Sounds very similar to what's happening with Jesus, right? Right? He does this water miracle, the people pass through safely. And then for some reason, Pharaoh's army's like, I have a good idea. Let's put ourselves in between the walls of water. What? I mean, talk about delusions of grandeur. You've lost your firstborn sons. There's been moaning in the land of Egypt. And now you want to take your chariot and go through? the sea that God has just parted but they do it run after God's people and the description is pretty sobering in Exodus 14. The people of Israel are watching this take place the Egyptians get all of their army in and then God slaps the sea back together crushes that army you know what Israel's response is it says they feared the Lord And they put their trust in God and his leader. This is exactly what's happening right here. Jesus has performed this water miracle. And now the disciples are like, wait, who is this guy? Now, like Israel, the point is the terror there, the fear there is not, well, I don't think terror is probably the right word, but it's a fear that causes you to trust God has displayed his power. We must trust him and revere him as the God of the universe in control of all things. We see this actually build throughout the gospel. When we get to Mark chapter 9, we'll see it when Jesus displays himself in the transfiguration just to a few of the disciples. Jesus just shows off his glory. And the first response of the disciples as recorded in the gospel of Mark is fear. Fear. The very last chapter of the Bible, the book of Revelation in chapter 1, when the resurrected Jesus Christ shows off his power to John, who is seeing this wonderful vision, you know what his first response is? Fear. It's like they move from an unhealthy fear to a healthy fear. They realized who was in the boat. The question is, will they trust him? Will they have faith in him? Will they have faith in the one who's in the boat? Because if he's in control of the storm, we should all be able to sleep. I think for a moment, just what this would mean to the first century hearers or readers of this gospel. Mark's gospel is written either right before Nero's persecution, the Roman, Roman emperor at the time, or just at the very beginning of the Roman persecution of Christians. You have all of these Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. And Christianity is exploding in the Roman Empire. I mean, it really is. It's really starting to take on traction. And so you have all of these followers of Christ who are doing that. They're following Christ. They're following Jesus. Just like Jesus told the disciples, let's get in the boat and let's go this way. They're following Jesus, but now they're finding themselves in a mess. Somehow following led me into a storm, the storm of persecution And I'm sure they're in this crisis of faith. Does God really love us? Does he care for us if we're in the middle of this mess? You could easily see how the readers of the gospel of Mark would read this account and say, this is where I am. I'm in the storm, but I can't forget who's in the boat with me. I can't forget that the son of God is in the boat with me and he won't let me drown in this sea. He won't let me die in the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I wish, I wish I could tell you that your Christian life will be all calm waters. Oh, that'd be great. But it's not true. It's not true. The disciples got wet. (laughs) There was still water probably at their ankles when Jesus spoke peace. There's still storms. You'll face them. You may be in one. I can't promise you calm waters, but I can promise you a captain who will keep you through that storm. And let me tell you what this captain promises. Let me tell you the storm he'll keep you from. Let me tell you how he won't let you be capsized and drown in this sea. He can't. I can't. And I wish I could promise you all of these ideas of comfort, of bliss, of Uh, relationships that are always fruitful people that never let you down a body that never decays I can't make you those promises I can't but let's I want to show you how Captain Jesus makes us a promise here and says to us I can keep you safe Look at this in John chapter six. In John chapter six, look at what Jesus' agenda is. Oftentimes we forget and try to rewrite the job description of the son of God as if God's like core objective, the son of God's core objective as savior is to bring us comfort, ease, and health and prosperity. And it's none of those things. If that's Jesus' job description, you're gonna be disappointed on his quarterly review. You are. But let me tell you, Do not miss the dynamic job description of Jesus Christ in this passage. Because this is what will give you sleep in every storm. Look at what Jesus says his agenda is. This is verse 37 of John chapter 6. He says, however, those the Father has given to me will come to me and I will never reject them. This is beautiful. Jesus is saying, all those that come to me, I'm never going to push them away. But then he describes the rest of the story, the rest of the journey, pushing out from the shore of faith on all the way to the finish line of our life. Jesus describes, I'm going to get you from point A to point B. Look at how he describes this, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of them. How many does Jesus want to lose? Zero. None. I'm not losing anybody in this sea. We're going to push out from shore and it's going to get violent. And the waves are going to get big and the storm is going to be scary and the winds are going to howl and we're going to feel like that young boy clenching that wool blanket over our eyes. We're going to get those moments where we are overwhelmed. But Jesus says, I'm going to get you to the end of that sea. Look at, look at how he describes this, right? Don't clap yet because we, we're getting to the good part. Then I'll tell you when to clap. No, I'm just kidding. I love that. But, but look at this. Thank you. Verse 39. And this is the will of God that, that I should use not one, even one of those he has given me, but that I should raise him up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see the Son and believe, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is you, in him should have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day day Jesus is not a liar I can't promise you that God will never give you a bad day but I can promise you that he will bring you all the way to the last day that Jesus will keep your faith through the threshold of death and give you eternal life think about this for a moment God will not let the storm of unbelief capsize your boat and drown you in the sea of eternal death. He will not let that wave overtake you. Think about that. I mean, just for a moment, that gives us just this crazy perspective that what Jesus is promising us here in this passage to you and to me, he's saying, Paul, the worst thing that could ever happen to you, Paul, will never happen to you. Paul, the best thing that could ever happen to you will happen to you. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is that you would be capsized by unbelief and drown in the sea of eternal death, that you'd be separated from God forever. But Paul, I stood on that boat and I said, peace be still to that. I faced the wrath of God and I said, be still in his death and resurrection he's made a definitive statement that you are safe from god's just wrath upon you oh man and then he says the best thing paul that can happen to you will happen to you you can be back in fellowship with god Your loving creator who made you, who will bring you through this life, through the threshold of death into eternal communion with your creator forever. When we hear that, all of the storms in our life just look so small in comparison, don't they? As a follower of Jesus Christ, man, this is the most liberating truth when we are overcome with fear. I have to tell you, as, as like I said, like as a young man, as a young child, I felt like so much of my, my experience was just riddled with fear. I felt always gripped by fear, especially at night. i have nightmares of dying, and I would just have these moments of anxiousness and anxiety, even times where I thought I was even seeing things in the room. Just the terror of that one moment, that one trauma, seemed to just kind of ripple out through my life. But then when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, that, that fear started to subside. I'm not saying it all went away. I'm not saying that I never got in a storm again. I'm not saying that I didn't get wet a little bit. But knowing that the best thing that could happen to me is gonna happen to me, and the worst thing that could happen to me will never happen to me, oh, that brought me so much peace. I want to give you a helpful tool i was i was talking to to pastor shane and i kind of took this away from our conversation we were having together and he he just gave me a a tool that i want to share with you tool that that i've used when i'm in those moments where i feel like just there's this angst and just this fear that becomes overwhelming where i can't seem to handle the emotions of the moment it's very simple take long breaths and say short prayers long breaths and short prayers (laughs) right that's going to help you your body right physiologically what's going on you need those breaths you need to calm yourself but we are body and spirit there's the seen and the unseen of us and this simple small prayers and I'll give you my favorite one Jesus speak peace Jesus speak peace still the storm in my heart. Jesus, I know I I might get wet. I know water may get in the boat. I know this may be hard, but I will not capsize because you will keep me. So Jesus, speak that peace into my life right now. Speak peace. Now maybe you're here and you're, you're, you're curious about Christianity and you want to call yourself a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I hope that you see and I want to invite you into the peace that Jesus can bring you. That faith can make you sleep in the storms, man. But if Jesus isn't in the boat with you, you're the only one in the boat. And when the storm hits, it's you and your stamina. It's you and your strength. And what happens when the storm is beyond you? Who do you call out to? What, what happens When this storm is beyond human strength, who do you call out to? And I have to be honest with you, I have to tell you, there's a storm that is coming. And it's the worst of all storms. The swell is high and the wind is strong. And that storm is the just wrath of God against our sin. And it is a strong storm. It is the most devastating of storms, but it is delayed Because God does not want you to be capsized by that storm. He doesn't want you to drown in the sea of eternal death. He doesn't want that. He wants to step in the boat and speak peace into your life. Who's in the boat with you? Is it just you, your strength, and your stamina? Please don't stand against the wrath of God alone on that day. You need Jesus. And he is eager to take that storm on for you. That was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He took the storm of God's wrath for sin on himself. And at the end of it all, he said, it is finished. Done, be still. I'm telling you, you place your faith in Christ today. He'll get in the boat and he'll speak that peace. And then, whatever storm you get in life, whatever storm you get in life, whether your marriage is dissolving, your health is just in disarray, whatever, whatever storm, you can take the peace of that and weather any storm in your life. Who's in the boat with you? Who's in the boat with you? If you're a follower of Christ, do you know who's in the boat with you? Do you know he could speak peace? If you're not following Jesus yet, man, you need him in that boat because that storm is coming and he wants to speak peace in your life. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Oh, Christ, I thank you for speaking peace. Be stilled. Silence. Oh, that storm was scary. I'm sure the waves were big. If I was in that position, I sure would be the one clinging to that boat, holding on to the mast in terror. I know that would be true. But I know there's also a greater storm. The storm that would not cause just our first death, but the storm that would cause second death. And that is a terrifying swell. And Christ, that's where you stepped in. And I rejoice I rejoice, I rejoice Christ that you stepped into that moment. You've spoken to our fear and you've freed us from the guilt of our sin. May we take the victory and the triumph of that moment and may we weather every storm in our life with that sense of peace. Man, I'm going to get wet, this boat's going to move a little bit, but I will not be capsized by unbelief and drown in the sea of eternal death. No, no, no. Water will never fill the lungs of my faith and drown me. I will stay upright and in that boat, I will weather that storm because Christ is in the boat with me. Thank you, Christ, for being there. God, I pray, whether there are people in the room or online, I pray, Father, that you would press into their minds. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict their heart to take that question of, well, who's in the boat with me when the storms of life come? And I pray, Father, that they would see that there's a bigger storm coming and that swell is rising, but it is delayed. There is time. I pray, Father, that they would run to you, explore with curiosity, explore with, with with energy, knowing I need to know if I can find true rest for my soul. I pray, Father, whether that means just coming next week or, or talking to a friend or whatever it is, I, I just pray, Father, that they continue that journey. Because that storm is coming and I want them to know for certain who's in the boat with them. I pray you'd speak to them today. And if that's you, I pray you put your faith in Christ today. Ask them to speak peace into that storm. Christ, we thank you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. You know, as we approach communion, there are times where we take on a more